Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem, and the elders of the town, they began to tremble. And they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And they were nervous that he had showed up. And Samuel replied, yes, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, and consecrate yourselves, and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. And when they had arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointing stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. See, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, well, he looks at the heart. You know, Saul was that man, he, his appearance, his, his height, like he stood out in the crowd and, and, and God said, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody different. Things are going to be, begin to change. And, and so God says to Samuel, how long are you going to be mourning about the past? How long is this going to keep on going? Like Samuel, how long are you going to linger with what God has already left behind? Why are you still weeping? There's some things that God is about to bring to its final days. It's like God says, it's done, Samuel. It's finished. And we're getting ready to move forward. Samuel, why are you weeping? I'm done with it. It's time to move forward. It's, it's no longer about where we've come from and where we were and what we've done. It's finished. There's a new day. And Samuel has a hard time handling with, with what was for what is. And God says to Samuel, which many of us have heard, maybe from our mothers or our fathers or a friend or a colleague or a coach or a boss, let the past be its past. It's time to move forward. It's time to move on. That's hard for Samuel. Uh, Samuel's only known one way of life. He's known one king all of his life. Samuel's the one who's anointed him. That has been his life. This is not easy for Samuel. Not easy for Samuel to change this new way. Uh, there's one particular note. This timeless lesson is shared from the perspective whereby God is telling a respected, a wise, godly man to put it behind you we're moving forward, which was not easy. I mean, this is a powerful statement of great importance. Uh, when I was reading this, I, I couldn't help but think of um, Kenny Rogers' song. Some of the new generation probably didn't know who Kenny Rogers is. But he, he sang a song, The Gambler. You got to know when to hold them. You know the song? Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. No wind to run. That's exactly right. That's what I fear. God's telling the Samuel, you've got to know when to hold them. You've got to know when to fold them. You've got to know when to go. And Samuel, it's time to fold them and move forward. That's the message. It's a new day, Samuel. There's a new king in the town next door. 
I mean, just consider the magnitude of this event. God, has cho- God chose Saul, and yet it's the, at the end of the day, Saul's choices and behavior made it impossible for God to continue to use him as a king. And God says, it's a new day. I've been thinking about that as a church. I mean, every study, every article that you read about church will tell you that across North America, churches continue to close their doors. Week after week after week, you'll hear another church closing the door. I, I, I personally think it has to do with part of this. When I read this story, so many churches, they, 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 they hold on to the old days, the good days. They're not ready for a new day. And I'm thankful for our church that, you know, that some of the things that were, were great and powerful days for us, and they were great things. God did some great things in our past with some of those events. But we're reaching a new generation, which means it requires new ways. People in 2000 don't think the way they did in, in, in 1980. In fact, a perfect example, Isaiah Beckers, who does a lot of our graphics for us, one day I said to him, Isaiah, I got this amazing idea. It's amazing. You're going to love it. I think we'll be able to sell it and make money. And so he's looking out at this idea, and I'm so excited. I'm so passionate about the idea. I said, what do you think? And it was like this blank look on his face. And I said, seriously, Isaiah, isn't that a great idea? And he goes, yeah, in 2000. I said, what do you mean? And he says, that wouldn't connect with my generation. And it was like an instantaneous, like a moment in time, like, you're right. We're reaching a new generation for Christ. And sometimes, I have a hard time, sometimes it's hard to let go of some of those old days that were good days, powerful days. God really used them, but as time changes, God sometimes will introduce something new. And this particular story is teaching us to pay attention to the present moment. Not always just to hang on to the past. I'm thinking to myself, personally, Donald, what are the things you're hanging on from the past that won't even allow you to move forward? And then I ask our church, my mind, what are the things that we're hanging on that doesn't allow us to move forward? One of the things that we wrestle with as staff here is when we look at ministries, we go, okay, that ministry was very powerful in 1980 or 1990. Is it still being effective? Because if it isn't, if it's still not reaching people for Christ, if people are not getting connected with Christ, why are we hanging on to it? It's holding us back from moving forward and reaching a brand new generation. We wrestle with that question all the time. So don't hold on to the things from the past that will not serve you well for the future. There's a new day for Samuel and for the people of Israel. I tell you that story as we flip back to the New Testament. I tell you that because I believe, I heard this statement 15 years ago, it's never left my mind, and that is the local church is the hope of the world. And so it's no wonder when I think about the the, the power that's been instilled on us, what God has done for the local church, and sometimes we hang on to the old when God's doing sometimes a new thing. And I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that I believe will excite you, get you energized to be a part of something like the local church. So if you have your Bibles, again, flip over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Incredible uh, passage of Scripture. By the way, very controversial. This is a very controversial passage of Scripture. And we're not going to dive into all the reasons for that uh, this morning. 
But it's Matthew chapter 16. And let me just kind of give you a little bit of a, a background. Well, actually, let me read it first, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, in verse, uh, six, uh, chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some are saying it's John the Baptist. And others say you're Elijah. And others say, well, maybe he's Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Like, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell are not going to overcome. So let me give you a little bit of historical background here. Jesus is leading his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, which is probably about 25 miles okay, north of the Sea of Galilee. Jews don't go there. I mean, it, it, it was like the original sin city. And yet it says that Jesus has taken his disciples and they're heading to Caesarea Philippi. What in the world is Jesus going there with his disciples? That is the place of debauchery. Why would he even lead them there? That is the place of smorgasbords for worship. Every kind of God that you can imagine is in Caesarea Philippi. In fact, the, the famous Pan Temple was there and the, the God Pan was the God of fertility. And, and for a Jew to be even in that area, it wasn't by accident. It's not like Jesus was roaming around Nazareth and made a wrong turn and all of a sudden wound up on the street where Caesarea Philippi is 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Very intentional that Jesus is leading his disciples to such a place as that. This is a place that would make Jews feel very dirty, very yucky. Have you ever been in a place? Have you ever been in a place where you just kind of felt dirty? And I, and I don't mean like dirty as like the counter hasn't been cleaned off or the floors haven't been swept. I mean, just felt dirty. Well, it's a couple of times I have. One particular time when uh, five of us guys, you know, we'd all sold our homes and left our jobs and we'd all turned 30 and we went to our, on our bike trip to Europe. And we're going to be gone for a couple of months. And, um, and in fact, Pastor Glenn was even on that trip. And I remember we were in Amsterdam and we, were, we had just left the Anne Frank's house. And I remember reading the story of the, the diary of Anne Frank and, and about the Jews. And we had been to a concentration camp right outside there. And, and, and we'd seen the palace and we're driving. And all of a sudden, we didn't know the city, but I just remember we took a turn and all of a sudden we were in the red light district. And I just remember like, ugh. I was like, ooh, I just want to get out of here. Like, it felt, it just felt dirty. And I just remember saying, Donna, keep your eyes to the ground. Just get out of here. Well, this is Caesarea Philippi. The Jews would be like, oh, I don't, I don't feel comfortable here. So why in the world is Jesus taking them there? To such a place as that. And with all the background of all the temples and all, of all the gods, he asked the question to his disciples. Basically, look around, look at the gods. Who do people say that I am? Am I just one of them? 
Who are people saying that I am? And of course, not all of his disciples at that point even know that they're still trying to figure out. Because some of them are saying, well, I think some people think you're Jeremiah. I don't know. I might think that too. You know, some people say you're Elijah or one of the prophets from days gone by. And, and they're chattering and answering the question that Jesus asked. And then all of a sudden, he looks at them directly and says, but, but what about you? Like, who do you say that I am? And then, of course, Peter just blurts it right out there. We believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, this is what I love. Jesus goes on to say, and I tell you, and I tell you, Peter, that on this rock, he's referring to himself, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. That's why I say the local church is the hope of the world. Because Christ has empowered the church that even hell itself can't stand against the church. The church is to be alive and active. And, and, and of course, hell has gates. Why? To keep people in and to keep people out. And the church is the one who's the active. They're the ones who are making the advances. And, the, and Jesus, even those gates can't hold you back. The power of the local church that's why, that's why we can think big. That's why we can dream big. That's why we can have a big vision for our city. Because <laughs> the local church is the hope of the world. And I know I'm tempted to do this all the time, and I still do it. I, I'm in 30-some years in ministry, and I still, as big as my box is, I, I try to make a big box for God. I still sometimes contain him inside of a box. And he's far bigger than that. And he says he's going to build a church they're going to be built on him, and nothing can stop it. And when I think about that, uh, we need to take our church outside of these four walls and let people know it's a big deal belong to the church. That's why we can be bold and ask people, join, serve, get plugged in, get involved, be a part of what is changing the world. Like, it's a big deal by the way. It's a big deal to be a part of a church, a local church, because it's the hope of the world. And our churches, I, Donald Calder, and our churches need to be reminded of the grandeur, of the beauty of the local church, that the church is the hope of the world, not this building, but us as people, the hope of the world. I love serving in this church as, as I do. I know many of you do because you know people come here every week, all kinds of questions about God, trying to figure it out. Who is he? Some come, they're disappointed with God. They're discouraged with God. They come with all these questions and, and no better place to come with your questions. And they don't just come on a Sunday, they come all week long. And some of them, they come to your home and they ask questions about your faith and how does that change you and how does it transform your life? So what do we do with something that is, that's a big deal with, to us? Like, if you have a hobby, and you love that, I mean, that's a big deal. You spend a lot of time. You invest in it, and you just, it just fills you up when you're passionate. You know, some of you love the landscape and garden, and it shows, like, you're passionate about it. It's beautiful. I, I think of my, um, my sister. I don't know if I've told this story before or not, but... Um, my sister, Janelyn, um, her husband, Stephen, and I were good friends before they got married. Our families had known each other for a long time. Stephen says to me, we're at my sister's college graduation. He says to me, 
Donald, today I'm buying the engagement ring. I'm like, what? Today of all days? And when he came and he approached me, I noticed, I didn't notice it was this wad in his pocket. And I didn't know if it was toilet paper. I didn't know what was in there. But then he pulled it out and there was this cash. He says, today, and I need your help, Donald. I need your help. Listen, that's the store I'm going to buy the ring. I'm like, Why would you buy it today? She's in the mall. You can't. That's your plan. That's what you got to do, Donald. You got to distract her. I'm like, what? That's, that's a lot of pressure. And so he, he went and he's buying the diamond ring and we're going down the mall and I see him there and I'm with my sister and I immediately take her into the store across the hall. And she's like, what, what's in here? I said, I don't know. I think there's lots, there's lots of pretty shoes. <laughs> and she goes, oh, okay. And I, I pointed one and said, look at that. Try that one on. Try it in red, black, blue, and yellow. And, um, and, then I, and then she was ready to go. I said, what is your problem? I have no problems. And as she turned, I could still see him paying. And I grabbed her. I said, look at the purses. When did you have such an interest in purses? Today. Today. I'm fascinated by them. And I, and I remember at the end of the day, this is why I tell this story, because at the end of the day, we went back to the hotel room. Steve and I are sharing a room. He was so excited, so passionate about this. He, he said to me, Donald, he ran to the other side of the hotel room. Look at it from this light. Isn't it pretty awesome, isn't it? I said, yeah, it's great, Steve. No, no, now wait. And I can remember, he jumped on the bed. Look at it as I jump, like the sparkles in it. Like he was so passionate about what he, what he had done. He had saved, he had invested. He was ready to get married. And when Jesus came, he brought something very special. He brought life and meaning and purpose and forgiveness and direction. And he's given it to the local church to share to the world. No wonder the local church is the hope of the world. What is it going to take for the church to grow? Uh, honestly, because the local church is such a big deal, I really believe, I believe we ought to order our life around it, invite people to it, because it should be a big deal to us. And if we neglect it, I honestly believe there are consequences for not valuing what God values. Helen Keller was once asked this question by a reporter. Helen, Miss Keller, what is worse than being blind? She said, having eyesight with no vision. What is your vision? What's your dreams about the future? Like, what's your vision about your marriage, your kids, your life? Like, where are you headed? Uh, how are you gearing your life up that the rest of your life is actually the best years of your life? I'm praying that we as a family, as a church family, get this God-sized vision of what our local church can do in this city. Because we're the hope of the world. Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save that was lost. He was serious about us leading people to the cross. Don't let the world see what is not true. See, some people think, well, God's kind of dead, finished up. No, God is, <laughs> is alive, and he lives within you, if you know him as your Savior, and he lives within me, and that's the big deal. <laughs> And where there's no big vision, the Bible says people will just perish. People will perish. Listen, my church, your church, our church, 
the church. It's the biggest thing going on. It's the biggest thing happening. And this morning, my goal is that you would walk away here just a little fired up, a little stirred up about the local church. That it is the hope of the world. That is beautiful. It's majestic. It's purpose-driven. It's life-giving. I really hope that, that you'll catch a big vision of, of the local church. And that it's a big deal to be a to be a part of. That's not an arrogant statement, by the way. That's not a cocky statement. Jesus himself said, the gates of hell can't stand against the church that he's built on himself. Now, it's very obvious. You look down your cul-de-sac, your street, your neighborhood, church isn't that important, people. That's, that's reality. <clears throat> For some, church is just an extracurricular activity. You know, for some, <clears throat> our own church family, like, you know, Christmas and Easter, those are important days to be here. And we can talk about them today because they're not here today, okay? But it's just an extracurricular activity. And some will, you know, they, they come maybe when Uncle Bert and Aunt Marge are in town. That's when you go to church. Something to do on holidays. Something to do when there's nothing else to do. There would be people in our city as well that would go to church every week, but it's more for just to hang out with people that think like them, look like them, dress like them, sing like them. More of a social uh, gathering. Some churches are, are kind of built around catering to people's needs. You know, just who's inside. And they begin to lose what's going on outside. Growing up in a Christian home, I was born into a Christian home, and I'm thankful. And I'm, I come from generation families, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-grandparents. Like, there's a long line. And sometimes when you grow up in the church hall and you've been around church all your life, and for me, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I've visited a lot of churches. I've been around church life. That it can be very easy to take church for granted. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. And you know, if I miss a week or two, no big deal. Or a month or two, no big deal. Because it really doesn't affect me that much. Just another item on my long list of to-dos. But when you are part of a church, a local church, you are part of something that is far bigger than just you or me. You know, sometimes when I'm in my car, when I'm by myself, and only when I'm by myself, I, turn the, I crank the music up. I sing like I'm a rock star. I sing like I'm the final contestant on The Voice. <laughs> and I let it belt. And I'm so surprised someone hasn't signed me up for a contract to sing. And as I'm singing and, and I'm so engaged and, and people drive by, I think they think I'm going through a seizure or something, but I just love it. <laughs> and I let it rip like I'm one of the top finalists. And then I say to myself, Don, what's holding you back? I'm going to have that same energy, that same passion, that same excitement. Why don't you let it rip, Donald, when it comes to the local church? Which is the hope of the world. See, we serve a big, big, I'm telling you, a big God. It's not just church. 
No, it's not just church. I think, I really believe we do a disservice to God when we treat it that way. I think God deserves more than that. I mean, it is no wonder that churches honestly are emptying, emptying all across North America, hanging on to some of the old things that are no longer effective, and some have lost the beauty and the grandeur of the local church and the impact that it's the hope of the world. Listen, in our city of Sarnia, there are still ten, tens of thousands of people who don't know, who don't know. That the, the burden of sin can be taken off of their shoulders. They, they, they don't fully understand that you're telling me I can hope again? You're telling me there's actually forgiveness for my sin? There's forgiveness for my past? Like, I can let it go? I can throw it on someone else? Yes. Yes. That's why I say we're the hope of the world because we have the message that Christ has given to us to go that literally transforms light, lives. Sometimes I know I've lost the beauty and the grandeur of the local church. But in 2019, I want, our, I want it to be reunited ignited again in me and in our church. See, too many Christians, and I think too many churches, think of themselves as small, insignificant, marginalized. That's not what Jesus had in mind when he was hanging on the cross for the world. For you and for me. See, God is huge, and he's worthy of our very best that we can give him. See, he is really worthy of all of our planning, all of our efforts, and, and all of our strategies, and all of our thoughts. He's worthy of it all because he's God, and he's empowered the local church to go change the world and make a difference. So let's pray. Let's dream. Let's plan. Let's make 2019 the best year of your life and the best year of the church family's life that they've ever experienced before. We've had great days behind us, but let's make 2019 the year that Temple Baptist Church thrives because once again, we've caught the vision of what the local church is Thanks for listening and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no-